I want to talk to you about the church. Why is the church so important? Well, it's because the church is the only thing that is going to last for eternity. Nothing else on this planet or in this universe is going to last for eternity. The Bible says that one day God is going to create a new heaven, a new earth, and a new universe. And the only thing that is going to go on from this world is God's family. The only thing that is going to make it into eternity is the family of God, which is the church. That's you and me, people who have put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So the church is going to last forever. Now, you've got to understand no local church lasts forever. None of the churches that were in the Bible are in existence today because the church is like a human being. The church is like a body. It is a living organism. They are born, they grow, they develop, they mature, they reproduce, and then eventually they even die. But some churches have a premature death. Now, that gets my attention because as your pastor... I want our church to stay alive and vital and vibrant for a long time to come. Woo! I'm hearing an echo. It's because my hat's still on. Let me, let me take my hat off. I don't normally preach with my hat on. You're saying, put that hat back on, preacher. Yeah. Churches eventually die. I don't want this church to die. And you know what? We don't have any reason to die. We're still young. We're only 50 years old. My way of thinking, that's real young, right? Did you realize, though, that that every single year in the United States of America, 4,000 churches close their door and die? What causes a church to die? Well, there's a lot of little reasons, but the main reason is they stop doing what God created them to do. And when you stop doing what God made you to do, you're not needed any longer. So... What keeps a church alive and vibrant and living? It's the blessings of God. You can boil it down to that. The reason the church is alive, vibrant, going, reaching people is because God is blessing that church. And when God blesses a church, it continues to thrive. Lives are changed. Families are put back together. People get out of debt. Woo! That's a good one, isn't it? All kinds of miracles happen. People's lives are dramatically changed when a church is being blessed by God. Now, I think about this a lot because as your pastor, I don't want to be a part of a dead church. And I don't think you do either. Do you? No. God has blessed Kavanaugh Church in some amazing ways over the past 50 years. But my greatest fear as your pastor is that we would lose the blessings of God on our church. Because you see, when a church is blessed, it blesses the families that are a part of the church. And when a church is blessed, it blesses the individuals who are inside of that church. And today, you and your family is being blessed because God is blessing this church. So, how do we keep God's blessings in our church? To keep God's blessings, 
We've got to keep doing the things that God has told the church to do. Now I want us to go back today and look at the very first church on the day it was born. Because the day you were born, all the DNA you needed in your life was given to you. Actually, it happened before the day you were born. It it actually happened at the point of conception. You didn't get any more DNA as you grew older. Everything you needed for your life was put into your DNA the moment you were conceived. And everything we need for God's blessing was put into the original DNA of the first church that is found in Acts chapter 2, the church of Jerusalem. The very first church. So if you got your Bible, turn with me to Acts chapter 2. If not, you can listen or uh, read along on the screen behind me. What we find here in Acts chapter 2 are the eight elements of the DNA of every gospel church. These are the eight things God says you must do if you want my blessings on your life. If you want my blessings on your family. If you want my blessings on your church, these are the things you have to do. Let me read it to you from Acts chapter 2 beginning in verse 1. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly... There was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each one of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. Heavenly Father, I pray that the Holy Spirit would fill this room. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts and challenge us. Lord, may we be the church that is blessed by you. May we be doing those things that you've called us to do. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you ever took notes or take notes, this is the week you need to start taking notes for sure. Not only today, but over the next couple of weeks. Because what we're going to do over the next three Sundays is look at the original DNA of the first church and see how we uh, level up to that first church. To see if we have the same DNA that it takes for God to bless a church. So start taking notes today as we look at Acts chapter 8 and see what it takes to have God's blessing on your life. Acts chapter 2 says it takes these eight things. Now, we're not going to look at all eight of them today, just the first two. And don't think you're going to get out early just with the first two, because this is some good stuff right here. The first DNA of the church is the power of God. Okay, A church is alive and vibrant and going because it has God's power in it. The way we get God's power is that we must pray for God's power, right? We must pray for the power of God. That is the starting point. The presence of God's power makes the church different from any other organization or group on earth. Because we've been given the Holy Spirit. That's the difference right there. The Holy Spirit brings the power. I'm here to tell you no no corporation has the Holy Spirit. Microsoft doesn't have the Holy Spirit to do its work. Dell and GE and General Motors and Apple and all the other corporations, Nike and Walmart, they don't have God's Holy Spirit. 
Come on now. No government has the Holy Spirit of God. Only the church gets the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit gives us the power to do the things that we can't do on our own. Now God has given us the church a very big task. In fact, it is an enormous responsibility. We are to populate heaven with unbelievers. In other words, now that we know the Lord Jesus Christ, we are to share that good news with everybody else. We are to bring as many people with us to heaven as we possibly can. But God doesn't expect us to do that on our own strength. And thank goodness for that, because we can't do it on our own. So he gives us the power to do that. And how do we get God's power? That's a really important question to ask and to answer. Because you need God's power in your life. Do you know that? You need God's power every single day you're alive. You need God's power to change the things in your life that you can't change. You need God's power to bring your family back together. You need God's power to raise your kids. You need God's power to get out of debt. You need God's power in every area of your life. So, how do you get God's power? Now, church, listen to me. Look at me. I'm, I'm losing some of you. Don't, don't get lost here. This is not rocket science. You can only get God's power one way, and that is through prayer. We pray, we get God's power. There is a direct connection between prayer and power. Much prayer, much power. Little prayer, little power. No prayer, no power. I don't have to know all the details of your life, but if you're honest with me and tell me how much time you talk to God every day, I can tell you how much power you have in your life. Because if you're not talking to God every day, there's absolutely no power in your life. Zero. Because the power only comes as we are connected to God. Okay? So let's get connected. Here we go. Let me, let me give you the background of this story. Jesus Christ died on the cross, was buried in the tomb, and then he was resurrected three days later. He walked around on planet earth for about 40 days. He had some followers, some disciples, and this is what he told his followers. He said, I want you to wait to do anything until I send my spirit. I'm going to go back to heaven, and I just want you to wait and to pray until I send my spirit to live in you. And that is going to be the birth of my church. Now, Jesus had about 120 followers at the time. And they had all gathered in this room. The Bible calls it an upper room. They didn't know how long they were going to have to wait. But that's what they did. They waited and they prayed. They waited and they prayed. They waited and they prayed. For ten days, they waited and they prayed. And then on the 50th day after the resurrection, on the day of Pentecost, God sent His Holy Spirit. Jesus had said to them, now, guys, don't go out and try to do anything with your life until I give you the power to do it. Don't go out and try to do anything on your own because if you do, you're just going to fail. But, he said in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you will receive power 
After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And my spirit is going to empower you to do the work that I've called you to do. So that's exactly what they did. Acts chapter 1 verse 14 says, They continually met together to pray as a group with one purpose in mind. So you could say that this was a purpose-driven prayer meeting, right? They were all praying together for one purpose. And that's all they did. They waited and they prayed. Then on the tenth day, God sends His Spirit. And when the Spirit of God arrived on earth, there were three, count them, one, two, three, amazing miracles that occurred. And we're going to look at them right now. And, and I'm telling you, a couple of them are kind of weird. But I'm telling you, they are amazing. No doubt about it. Amazing miracles that were going to be the symbols of of what the church is supposed to do. So let me read that to you again, Acts 2.1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a noise like strong blowing wind. Now, it wasn't a wind. It just said it was a noise like a wind. Came from heaven. It filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw something like flames of fire. And again, it doesn't say it was fire. It says it looked like flames of fire that were separated and stood over each person there. So over everybody's head was this little flame of fire. Bar Jonas, there's a flame of fire over your head. Now again, I mean, hey, that is a little weird, isn't it? But, but it's pretty amazing as well. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak different languages by the power of the Holy Spirit which He was giving to them. So, on the very first day of the church, the day when the church was born, there were three, count them, one, two, three, very powerful signs. Number one, there was a noise that sounded like a hurricane inside the building. Number two, there was a bright flame that looked just like a fire that was hovering over the head of each person there. And number three, everybody in the room, all 120 of them, were speaking in a foreign language that they had never learned before. Imagine that. Wow. I'm thinking, wow. Now, why did God do that? Well, these are three symbols of the DNA of the church. What he is saying is this. In, in the true church, the, the one that God blesses, these are things that are going to be evident. They will be noticed. They will be there. How do you know? How do you know that you're part of a true church? How do you know, sitting here today, that you're a part of the real deal? How do you know that you're not a part of some fake church, some phony church, some cult church. How do you know that you're a part of the true church? Well, the Bible tells us in, in Acts chapter 2, there's, there's going to be eight things, eight DNA that prove this church is from God and that God is blessing this church. And the very first one is this. He says, there is going to be a noise like a hurricane. There will be flames of fire and everybody is going to be speaking in a foreign language. Now these are symbolic. These are symbols that the church is to be three things. Number one, the church is to be powerful. Number two, the church is to be on fire. And number three, 
the church is to be multicultural. He says, you'll know if it's a real church when there is power in that church to change people's lives. And lives are really being changed by the power of God. Transformations are taking place. He says, you'll know it's a real church when people are on fire. Man, I wish some of you would get on fire with me right now because I'm burning, baby. Yeah? They're excited. (laughs) Come on, man. Come on. And then number three, he says, you'll know it's a real church because people are speaking different languages. Now, don't freak out about that because we're going to talk about it here in just a minute, all right? But then it says in Acts 2, 43, everyone there was filled with awe. And many wonders and miracles and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. Let me tell you, God blesses a church that prays. I repeat it until everybody says amen. God blesses a church that prays. God blesses a person who prays. God blesses families that pray. God blesses the church that prays. And when a person, a family, or a church prays and asks God for his power, God brings his power. God brings His power. And when God's power is in your life, your family, or your church, nothing stays the same. Things change. Why? They change because of the power of God. It's transforming. It changes people. You get on fire, man. You get pumped up. You get jacked up. I'm kind of an outside part of the Greenwood football team because my boy's playing football at Greenwood. I'm telling you, they are a team that's on fire. Their coach gets them on fire. They pump those boys up, so Friday night, man, they're ready to go. They're on fire. I'm thinking, Coach Jones, would you please come talk to my church? (laughs) We need to be on fire. God says a church that has my power is going to be on fire. And you know what? Number three, you're going to be speaking the language of people because you're going to be reaching people for Jesus Christ. That brings me to point number two. We must use everybody's language. I need to explain this one to you and and explain your role in this. We must use everybody's language to get the good news out. Our number one job, look at me, our number one job as a church is to share the good news of the gospel with people who haven't heard it. And we are to do that in any way we can possibly do it using every language that is possible to be used. Listen, church. God wants our church, Kavanaugh Church, to be an all-nation congregation. Here's what happened in Acts 2.34. They all began to speak in different languages as the Spirit gave each of them the power to express themselves. Now, this, this is a very unusual miracle that occurred right here. This is not the same thing that we read about happening over in 1 Corinthians 14, whatever that was. Some people say that's a prayer language, an ecstatic utterance. It's, it's for your own personal edification. Whatever was happening in 1 Corinthians 14 is not what's happening here in Acts chapter 2. What's happening here in Acts chapter 2 is this. These 120 disciples, when they got filled with the Holy Spirit of God, they started speaking in a language that they had never been trained in. 
So in modern day terms, if it happened right here in our church, maybe you'd start speaking in French or, or, or Spanish or German or Swahili <laughs> or whatever. A language you had never learned, all of a sudden you have the ability to speak that dialect, that language, and through speaking it, you're giving people the ABCs of salvation. And I'm telling you, it, it was an amazing thing. I go back to verse number 7. It talks about all the different nationalities that were there. They were completely amazed. How can this be, they exclaimed. These people are all from Galilee, yet we hear them speaking in our own native tongues. Here we are, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, the province of Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, the areas of Libya and Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, all of us are hearing the gospel being spoken in our own language. I'm telling you what, that is absolutely mind-boggling and amazing. Here's what it says back up in verse 5. There were religious Jews staying in Jerusalem who had come from every country of the world. Again, this is, man, this is just so amazing. This is absolutely no coincidence. God decided to start His church on the day when the whole world came to one place. Everybody was in Jerusalem that day. People from every nation. And so on this day when He starts His church, He's going to get the good news of the gospel out to all nations. When they heard... That is, all these guests from around the world heard this noise, a large crowd gathered. They were all excited because all of them heard the believers talking in their own language. And again, understand, people from France were hearing the gospel in the French language. People from Asia are hearing the gospel in their own Asian languages. People from Africa are hearing them speak African language. In amazement and wonder, they exclaimed, these people who are talking like this are Galileans. I mean, they're, in other words, they're Jews from Israel. They're, these people are, are, they are hillbillies and hicks from Fort Smith. How is it then that all of us hear them speaking in our own native languages? Verse 11 says, all of us hear them speaking in our own languages about the great things God has done. Wow! I mean, that is cool, man. That's amazing. Question is, though, why did God do that? I mean, why did God do it this way? This is the miracle of multi-channel, multicultural communication. What God is doing here in Acts chapter 2 on the first day of the church is this. Listen to me. He is reversing the curse of Genesis chapter 11. This is awesome. When God created the earth, everybody spoke the same language. For hundreds and hundreds and thousands of years, everybody spoke the same language. But then the Bible tells us that they got proud, they got a little egotistical, and they started building this tower up to the heavens. So that they could become like God. And they were worshiping their tower. They called it the Tower of Babel. But God is saying, no, I'm going to have none of that. 
none of this business in my world. So it says God confused them and gave them all different languages so that they could not keep building the Tower of Babel or do anything else together. Because their words now all seem like Babel to them. That's where we get the word Babylon from. It says that God confused the languages so that all these people began to split up. Some of them headed off to Asia. Others of them headed towards Europe. Some headed down towards Africa. And they did not speak the same language anymore. But here on the first day of the church, God is reversing that curse. Now I want everybody to hear this and I want each one of you to know this. This is a great miracle from God. Here's the point. The miracle of multicultural communication that started in Acts chapter 2 has been continued as mission work throughout the history of the church for the last 2,000 years. And because of that, the church now speaks every major language in the world. In fact, the church speaks more languages than the United Nations does. There are 2.3 billion Christians in the world who are members of the church and they are spreading the gospel in their own language and in their own dialect. We know more languages than any other organization. We're the only truly global organization there is. The church speaks every major language in the world. That is amazing. It's remarkable. But what has that got to do with you and me at Kavanaugh Church on Roundup Sunday 2015? I think there are two important truths that apply to us. Number one, God's put you in this church. Okay, make no mistake about it. God has put you in Kavanaugh Church. You specifically in this church. And the reason God has put you here is for you to reach people that only you can reach. Now I want to say that again because I want you to get this. God has put you here to reach people that only you can reach. I can't reach the people you can reach. Your neighbor sitting next to you right now can't reach the people that you can reach. But there is somebody that God wants in heaven and he has assigned you the task of reaching them. They are people within your sphere of influence. They are people that you know or maybe you haven't met yet. But there is somebody God wants you to reach. Now guys, when you step back and think about that, that is an awesome task God has given to us. If that person is going to be reached and if that person is going to spend eternity in heaven, it is because you and nobody else reached them. Number two... You need to understand that you speak more languages than you realize. You really do. I try to speak English. Not very well. I know English. I know a little bit of cowboy action lingo. Somebody, somebody told me this morning, several people told me this morning, Brother Will, you're slacking. You let, you let us down on your, your attire. We really expected more of you than this. And I said, well, wait till tonight. Uh, I'll be wearing my B-Western stuff tonight. But I, I do. I go shoot cowboy action. I'm a member of SAS, the single action shooting society of the world. And we've got our own lingo. 
For example, we'll go out on a posse and we'll shoot a stage together and the scenario will be a double tap Nevada sweep starting from the left, shotguns in any order. You don't know what that means, do you? It is our own lingo. But, but here's the deal. You know dozens of, of languages and you don't even realize it. For instance, how many of you are a mother of preschoolers? Or have had preschoolers? Huh? A lot of you. You speak the language of moms and other women who have been moms. They get it. They know the lingo that you talk. The rest of us, we don't understand that language. But moms can talk to other moms like nobody else can. Some of you are good at electronics and computers. You're into IT. You know all things digital. And you speak geek. <laughs> and and the re none of the rest of us get it. You lost me on the first megabyte, you know? You speak geek. No matter what you do, that's a language. Some of you love golf and you speak golf lingo. Some of you speak retirement because you're retired. Some of you are salesmen and you speak the language of sales and you know how to close the deal and the rest of us don't have the slightest idea what you're talking about. Some of you are mechanics and you can talk about carburetors and headers and valve covers. Others can't do that. Some of you speak math and none of us understand what you're talking about. There you are, I'm looking for you. Some of you are accountants and you speak accounting. Some of you are artists and you speak artistry. Some of you are musicians and you can talk sharps and flats and treble clefs and bass clefs and beats and bars and tempo. And I don't, I don't have any idea what you're talking about. The point is this. You speak a lot more languages than you realize. Some of you speak baseball because you understand it well. Some of you speak basketball because it's your sport. Some of you talk football. You talked it all day yesterday. You're going to talk it all day today. It's your language. Every language, though, that God has given you, guess what? God expects you to use that language. God intends you to use that language for His glory and to reach other people for the cause of Christ. And here's the point. And I am going to get real practical right here. Right now, every one of us in this room, every single one of us, all of us have a friend right now who's going to hell. You've got a friend who, if their life doesn't change, they're going to split hell wide open. You know, really, you love them, don't you? You love your friend. More than that, God loves your friend. Jesus loves your friend. God doesn't want them in hell. God wants them in heaven. So how about this? How about right here today, we begin a process of starting to pray for your friend. And we take it on as a challenge this fall to bring your friend to Jesus Christ. That, that sounds like a great idea to me. Because that's what we're supposed to be doing, isn't it? question is, how do we do that? Well, good news is... You don't have to be a theologian to do it, nor do you have to be a graduate from a Bible college. In fact, you don't even have to know all of the Bible. Here's what, you, here's what it takes. Number one, for you to be the real deal yourself. That is, for you to be a genuine, true follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then number two, here's what it takes. You just speak their language, man. You speak their language. 
So if they like movies, you talk the language of movies. If they like to go hunting, you speak the language of hunting. If they're a biker, you talk the language of being a biker. You just love them and you build a bridge of love and you invite them to this church that is on fire from God. You bring them to this church that has the power of God and you watch their life change. Man... Y'all are kind of getting the clapping stuff down. We just got to use their language. We got to do what it takes. Because that's what God expects. Again, I'm going to end where I started. I want to be a part of a church that is vital and vibrant and on fire for God. I want that. You know why? Because I want God's blessings. More than anything else, I want the blessings of God. To do that, I've got to pray for his power, and I've got to speak the language of people to reach people because that's what God cares about, it's what God is concerned about. Now, I've tried real hard this morning. I don't know if I've accomplished it, but I've, I've tried to speak your language because I want to talk to you. Because if you're here this morning and you've never received the greatest gift of all, today's the day that, that God offers that gift to you, and you need to accept it. It's his gift of salvation. God loves you and cares about you. God wants to save your soul and change your life. And all you have to do to receive that gift is accept it. So here in a moment, I'm going to pray for you, and I invite you to come and receive God's gift of salvation. Second thing is this. If, if you are a Christian, a believer, a follower of Jesus Christ, I'm, I'm man, I came, Rusty, I came through here yesterday and spent about an hour in this church, and I just, man, I just started praying. And I said, Lord... During the invitation, would you just draw people to yourself? And from right here, Lord, I just pray that this whole front of this sanctuary would be full of saints, people of God coming and praying and asking God for your power. And Lord, help them to fill up this aisle down through here and all the way down through here, down each aisle, come down the balcony, because we want to be a praying church. Because that's where the power comes from, folks. And if you've got something in your life today that you can't change on your own, just quit trying. Because you can't change it. But the power of God can change it. So you need to come and pray and ask for God's power. There is a friend that you have in your life right now. God has brought this person to you for whatever reason, however it happened. God has brought somebody into your life that only you can reach. That only you can reach. That only you can reach. That only you can if you don't reach them, they're not going to make it to heaven. God's going to give you the language. He's going to help you say the right words. You've just got to have the guts to open your mouth. So would you come this morning and pray for your friend? Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd do something amazing in this room right now. Something that only you can do. I pray that your Holy Spirit would fill this place. I pray that people would be saved. I pray that Christians would be drawn close to you. I pray that as a church we would come and ask for your power. And ask, dear Lord, that you would be with our friend who is lost. Lord, start a revival in our church today. A fire that spreads through the River Valley, through Arkansas, the United States, and the world. We ask for your blessings, Lord. Would you pour them on us today? In Jesus' name we pray.